it's good to be together. I feel like I take a breath, right? We can just breathe together. You know, it's special when we're singing these songs and we're just in the same place, worshiping the same God. And this week, I've just been thinking about, you know, this upcoming Sunday and also with the youth group and, um, the, and the kids and the message that I'm, I've been walking through the book of Mark with the youth group and every week, it's just exactly what we need. And uh, we haven't skipped a verse yet and it's been so good. And today we're in Mark chapter six, uh, one through um, six. And it's just incredible to see the life of Jesus. I mean, I've, I've seen it since I was, well, I've read it since I was a little kid, but every single time I read it, it just blows me away that this, this, this is real, that he's alive. And this idea that I see in this passage is faith and offense, faith and offense. And that's my title today, faith and offense in um, Mark chapter six, verse one through six. And my idea that, that, I, that I see behind this is having the correct expectations of God leads to the moving of God in our lives. Having the right expectations lead to the moving in God in our lives. And I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever been offended. I've been offended before. And one time that I, it brings to memory when I was offended, I was in eighth grade and I was on the wrestling team in eighth grade. And it was my first year and, and I, I, I thought I loved it. I had a ton of fun. But I, I wrestled with the, my practice buddy. He was a lot, he was probably 30 pounds heavier than me and all muscle. This kid was a beast, still is. And he used to toss me around, right? And so I, I didn't win any practice matches. But uh, I got better. I got a little better from it. And then it came time for the tournament. And I was going to face this other kid named Mark. And Mark is also a lot stronger than me. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing here? And I already lost my first match. Now I'm going to my second match against Mark. And there were some high schoolers. And the high schoolers, they were, like, supposed to be mentors and encouragers to us and know and, like, give us some pointers and tips. And just as I'm about to go up to face Mark, um, they, they say to me, these high schoolers, you know, they say, yeah, Sam, you're going to lose. They, you're going to lose. And I'm like, What? Are you kidding me? You're supposed to be helping me. They're like, they're like, yeah, Sam, you got no shot. This kid is strong. This kid is strong. I don't even know why you're facing this kid, to be honest. He's out of your weight class. And, and here I'm going against Mark, right? And now I'm, I'm angry. I'm angry. I'm not even angry at Mark. I like Mark. I know Mark. I'm angry at these high schoolers for thinking little of me, right? And so I go in against Mark, and we're grappling, and I get him around the head, and I, I bring him down to the ground somehow, and I get on top of him, and I just squeeze. I don't know what else to do. I'm just squeezing him as hard as I can, trying to get his shoulders on the ground. And then, you know, and then, the, and then the, the ref goes, boom, and he hits the mat, and I won the match. I was so pumped. But I, wasn't, I didn't even care about that as much. I wasn't a bold kid in high school. I, was, I mean, in middle school especially, I wasn't that bold. And I, but I walked right up to these high schoolers, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's right. I won that, you know? I'm like, you didn't think I could do it, but I did it. How dare you think that? And, and I just remember, I was like, oh, I was so angry. I was so mad. I was so offended. Because they expected less of me than I expected of myself. Their expectations were lower than what I expected. And that hurt me. And I think in this passage, we're going to see differences of expectations, but Jesus isn't the one who's offended. The, the people are going to be offended about, about Jesus. Because Jesus is going to have higher expectations of himself than they are of him. And that's what we see in this passage. And as we're jumping in to chapter 6, I think it's important to know what's come to this point. Because it's critical to understanding chapter 6. And up until this point, Jesus has been revealing who he is. But the people don't understand just yet. They're, they're slowly beginning 
to understand. We get the superscript in, in the, or the, the introduction of Mark. It's Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. But the people, when Jesus is there, they, they don't know that just yet. They're beginning to understand. And Jesus is doing these incredible miracles, and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, saying that now it has come from him. And, and, and he's gathering disciples, and he's teaching, and, and he's, he's doing all these amazing things. And in chapter 4 through chapter 5, oh, I think it's my favorite part so far of the book. And there's just this, these, uh, these linked episodes of what Jesus is doing. And it begins with Jesus. He just finished teaching, and he's on the Sea of Galilee. And he's sitting in a boat, and he's talking out to the crowds. And he did that so that more people could hear him. And, and Jesus, he, he, after he's done teaching, he stays in the boat, and they go to the other side. And on, during that night, as they're sailing across the Sea of Galilee, there's this crazy storm. And, and the storm is raging. And, and the waves are coming over the boat. And the disciples, it's a very good chance they didn't know how to swim. And so they're inside this boat in the middle of the night. They can't see, and they think they're about to die. And they're, they're like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is sleeping through a storm, right? I'm glad to hear, no, Jesus, he was a good sleeper too. And Jesus is sleeping, and, and they, they're like, Jesus, you need to help us. We're going to die. And Jesus looks out at the storm. The boat's raging. Maybe the, Jesus is being tossed, and he's, he's just standing up maybe, and he speaks out to the wind. He speaks to the waves. He says, be still. And they listen. I don't know if you've ever spoken to the, a storm and said, listen. But I can just guarantee you, it probably ain't listening to you. It listens to Jesus. It stopped, right? And Jesus continues on to the other side, right? And he gets to the shore. The disciples are probably in awe. They probably didn't sleep that night. Jesus had told them, they said, you still have no faith. And he still did it. And, and they get to the other side, and Jesus, uh, as he steps on the shore, there's a man who's been tormented by demons for probably many years. He's got cuts all over his body. He has no clothes on, probably bleeding, dirty. His hair's probably in every mismatched way. And, and he, he's been running through the mountains, screaming, wailing, crying, cutting himself in the tombs. The people have tried to chain him down, tried to hold him, to stop him from, from hurting anybody and hurting himself. And this man, and he ripped the chains. He broke the chains that they used to hold him down. That's how, that's how strong he was. That's how oppressed he was. And, and this, he comes running to Jesus. He falls before Jesus, this man full of demons. He says, son of the mighty God, what do you have to do with me? He says, do not torment me. And Jesus looks at this man and he commands the demons to go out of him. And these demons, they leave this man and they go into these, these, a herd of pigs and the pigs instantly run straight into the water and die and drown. And it tells us that these demons that were in this man, their intention was to kill and destroy whatever they inhabited. The evil inside of this man was trying to destroy him. And Jesus had power over it. He commanded it. They tried to hold him down with chains, and Jesus freed him with his own words. And then he, the man, he tries to come with Jesus, and Jesus says, no, you need to go tell everyone what happened to you. Because everyone was scared of Jesus. But maybe they would listen to him. Maybe they would listen to this man. And Jesus gets back in the boat. He goes to the other side, and he's met by another man. And this is actually the opposite type of man. This man is actually the leader in the synagogue. 
He's a holy man, an upright man, someone that probably people looked up to in the community. And he was, he was one of the, 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 a big shot. He was someone close with the Pharisees. And, and he comes to Jesus and he says, my daughter is dying. Will you come and heal her? And Jesus begins to walk with him to go heal his daughter. And as they're going, I mean, this woman, this little girl only has moments to live. Time is of the essence. And Jesus is pressing through the crowds to get to the other side of town to heal this little girl. Pushing his way through, disciples probably saying, make way, make way. People are trying to get close. And there was this woman who had been ill for 12 years. And nobody could help her. And and not only that, but her illness made her what was considered unclean, so she couldn't be around anybody. She was isolated from the community, isolated from even worshiping God at the temple, in the synagogue. And, and, And she's like, if only I touch his garment, I could be made well. And as Jesus is pressing through these crowds, this woman comes, taking the risk of of being around other people. She touches the hem of his garment, and and she's healed. And Jesus, knowing the time is of the essence, he stops. He could have kept going. He stops, and he says, who touched me? The disciples are like, who touched you? Everyone touched you. You're in a crowd. He goes, but no, somebody touched me, and power has gone out from me. And the woman, terrified, comes before him and says, I touched you. And Jesus says, daughter, calls her daughter. As he's going to heal a man's daughter, he calls this woman daughter. And he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Almost to to reassure her, it wasn't a magic trick. It wasn't some special ritual. It was because you had faith in me. It was because you believed in the power that I have, in the compassion that I have to heal you. And he says, you've been made well go. And Jesus then continues on. But as he's leaving, people come up to them and they say, Jairus, your daughter has died. Your daughter's dead. And Jesus says, no, she's not dead. She's sleeping. The people say, no, she's dead. Jairus, leave the teacher alone. Just come home. Let's go and bury your daughter. Jesus says, no, she's sleeping. He says, do not fear, but have faith. He takes Jairus and they walk. They walk to the house. And there's people crying and weeping outside the house. And at that time, what you would do is even hire people to weep, to show your love and how sorry you were and the brokenhearted that you were. It would be, it would be a whole ceremony. And, and Jesus says, why are you weeping? She's only sleeping. And they begin to laugh at Jesus. Laugh. And Jesus said, everyone out of the house. He said, I only want Jairus, I only want his wife, and, and I'm taking, I'm taking uh, my, a few of my disciples, and they go in. And Jesus takes this little girl by the hand, who's dead. He takes her by the hand. And just like a father would wake up his daughter, maybe on a sunny morning, or wake her up from a nap, Jesus says, arise, little girl. And he raises this girl up, just as you would raise a little girl up from the dead. He raises this the girl, I mean, right from sleep. He raises this girl right up out of death. What an incredible series of stories, which tell us this. Jesus has power over nature. Jesus has power over demons. Jesus has power over sickness. And over the greatest enemy of them all, Jesus has power even over death. He speaks to death as if it was sleep. 
It's an incredible, it encourages my faith. I sit in awe and say, this is the God who came to earth. But we're going to see a whole different story here in chapter 6 as Jesus goes to his hometown. It says, he went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to, him, said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, in his own household. And he could do no mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. What a contrast. Jesus just rose a girl from the dead. And now he comes to the town where everyone knows him. And they say, who is this guy? Some things I notice is Jesus comes and, and they ask these questions. They're asking these questions. And, and what I was asking while I was reading this is, why don't they believe? I mean, Jesus is right there in front of them. They've heard the stories they said they did. Why don't they believe? And, and, and I think by the way they were asking, and they even list, I think it's important, they list who Jesus was. This is the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother, and they list his brothers, and they say his sisters are right here with us right now. What are they saying? They're saying, here's a little old Jesus that we grew up with. We, we worked with him. We kicked the ball around with him when we were kids. We went to school with him. My mother watched him when he was a baby. This is little old Jesus, and now he's going to come back to our town and think that he can tell us what to do? This is, this is little old Jesus, and he's going to come back here and think that, that he's better than us? I think what was happening was the expectations that Jesus had for himself were greater than the expectations that they had of Jesus. And when those expectations clashed, they could do nothing but be offended. They couldn't have faith because, because they, they couldn't believe that the man that they knew, the kid that they grew up with, could actually be more than a man, more than a kid, but the son of God. And I was even asking this question. They, they were thinking, this is, this is the son of Mary, the son of uh, the brother of Joseph and, and Judas and, and, and all these, and the other brothers and, and the sisters. But in our, in our minds, from reading this story, we know that he's more than just the son of Mary. We remember that when Jesus was being baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, it says that the sky, the heavens were open and, and, Jesus, and God spoke out of heaven and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. But to these people, all they could see was the ordinary. And they couldn't tell that the extraordinary was, was, was pushing through, that Jesus was more than just the man that they had grown up with. This was the son of God. And they were offended. They could not believe 
They were angry because they thought in their hearts, who is this guy? Does he think he's better than me? Who is this guy? Why does he think he has the right to be a prophet over me, to be greater than me, to, to, to stand over me, to, to give me instruction, to tell me about God, to lead me? This is just little old Jesus. That's what they're saying in their hearts. There's that saying, familiarity breeds contempt. And it was true in this situation here. And I imagine, what would have happened if instead of just seeing the ordinary, what would have happened if, if only they had known, if only they had taken a chance, maybe just a step of faith to say, Jesus, I know I've known you my whole life and this sounds crazy, but my daughter's sick. Can you come to my house? Jesus, I know this is crazy, but, but there's my friend, he, he's, being, he, he's being hurt by a demon right now. Can you come to my house? Jesus, I know that I've known you my whole life and this sounds nuts, but can you, can you come to me, to my house? Jesus, can you, can you, can you do a work in my life? But they couldn't because they would not believe because they had low expectations of Jesus. I was thinking, if you want to see someone get offended, ask a little kid 10 minutes before bedtime to tell his brothers and sisters to go to bed 10 minutes early. You're going to have a war in your house. You're going to have a war in your house because what they're thinking is, that kid... He's no different than me. I should be telling him to go to bed. That's what was happening in this town. Except it wasn't just an ordinary person. It was the son of God. It was God himself as a human in the flesh coming to us. And he was rejected. And he was, he was, he caused offense in our own lives. I think that the offense and unbelief of Nazareth can take place within us. And I think it takes place in this world everywhere. The idea of Jesus, the message of Jesus is offensive. It can turn people the other way. It can rub them the wrong way because it is contrary to what they want and desire in their own hearts. And it is contrary to what we want and desire in our own hearts. This message of Jesus the people, they had no faith because they did not expect Jesus to be greater than the ordinary man that they grew up with. They thought that he was just that kid who was, who was playing in the park, but he was much more. I was thinking about when I used to play hockey in high school. And, and all, I mean, in other sports too, like, I don't know if you've ever played, if you've played in any sports, sometimes there can be a little tension between the coach and the players, Right? And what happens is sometimes the players think they know better than the coach, right? And they have their own ideas. And we lost more than one game with five different players trying to play their own game, thinking they knew better than what the coach knew. And they became offended when the coach wanted them to do what he wanted them to do. And we lost games because of that. And we lost games for other reasons too. But this idea that in our own lives, we sometimes have expectations. We sometimes have 
desires. We sometimes have our own mindset that differs from the mindset of Christ. And when we don't understand who Christ is, when we don't understand that he's not an ordinary man. We don't understand that he's more than just a historic figure in a book. He's more than just a fairy tale. He's more than just an old wise man with, fairy, with parables that he taught 2,000 years ago. But that this is the man who, who calmed the sea. This is the man who, 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 who healed the man from demons and had, had power over evil. This is the man who, who healed a woman who nobody else could heal and, and she became well. And this is the man who spoke to death as if it was sleep. We begin to realize that the expectations and the offense doesn't have to be the offense. That it can be faith. It can be, it can be a changed mindset. Right? I was thinking of Lee Strobel. I don't know if you've ever heard of Lee Strobel. He was, a, uh, he was first a journalist, right? He was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune. And he was a world-class journalist at a world-class newspaper. And, and he, was, he was also, he had a background in law. And beyond that, he was stiffly against believing in God. And there's a book and there's a movie. I watched the movie. And in the movie, that we see that he, uh, his wife came to faith before him. And, and he became angry when she started to believe in God. And, and he wanted to prove that God didn't exist. He wanted to find evidence that he didn't have to do what the Bible said, he, that he didn't have to pray to God, that he didn't have to change the way that he lived. And as he went into this uh, investigation to figure out the evidence against God, he began to discover as he, talks, as he talks to physicians and as he talks to historians and as he continues to talk to different people that the evidence is on the other side. And this man who, who, who hated the gospel, wasn't just didn't believe in it, was indifferent to it, hated it, eventually came to believe it and surrender to it. And the offense that he had turned to faith because he began to recognize that the authority that it came from was trustworthy and true. It was compassionate and restoring it was, it was something that he had not yet encountered in this world. And Lee Strobel, who's still alive today, is an incredible, an incredible leader in the faith, leading conferences and churches and, and leading people to Christ. Why? Because he found that the offense he felt didn't have to be offensive because of the source it came from. It came from somebody else. And so things we learn as we, we see this passage is that the message is offensive. Jesus is offensive. I mean, I, I went in and I started just looking at what are some offensive things that we see in the Bible? And I'm not, I don't like being offensive. I'm like a non-confrontational person. But for the sake of, this, of, of, of God's word and for the sake of checking this out, I want to just see this. If this is true, I want to know it. Some offensive things. You're not good enough on your own to go to heaven. That'll offend people. I want to believe, people want to believe that we can do it on our own, that we're good enough, that we can work hard enough, that we can do the right thing, that, that if we just buckle up, if we just pull up our bootstraps, if we just, if we just uh, uh, think hard enough and, and if we just meditate hard enough and if we just, we can be good enough. We can do it. We can do it. The Bible says you can't do it. You're not good enough. You never will. It's unattainable what you're searching for. 
That's offensive. Your treasure is where your heart is. That's another offensive. There's a, I remember being in class one time and I overheard the, uh, our one pastor teacher, he was, he said to this one student, he said, your wallet is where your heart is. And I was like, oh, dude, my wallet is only at Wendy's 444 right now. That was, that's, that's where I was at, at life right there. You know, as a college student, I, I didn't have, you know, making just working 10 hours a week or whatever, just scraping by. I was like, I don't have enough money to give. And I was like, oof, that hurt. That's offensive. I was hurt. I was hurt by that. And I was like, you know what, though? Let me investigate that. It's offensive, though. Where's your money? Where's your wallet? That's where your heart is. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Buddha and Islam and Hinduism and atheism and any other religion, any other mindset, any other belief system will not lead to salvation, will not lead to, to the, the satisfaction within our hearts that we're searching for. It will not lead to world peace. It will not lead to the path we need. That'll offend somebody. That, especially here in our Western context in America, where we just say, believe what you ever want to believe, do what you want to do, you are free to do what you want to do. That's offensive to say, well, you could do that, but it doesn't mean it's good for you. That's offensive. We must honor others above ourselves. That we, would, that we would look at ourselves and think lowly of ourselves and higher of others. Or not even lowly, but less of us and more of others. That we would prioritize people even over the things that we want at times. That's offensive. That's a painful thing to do. It sounds awesome. It sounds like noble and honoring. But it hurts and it's hard. And it'll offend someone when you call them out in a loving way. Honor, honor others above yourselves. That hurts. Turn the other cheek when someone disrespects you, says something. Instead of chirping right back, taking it, and maybe saying something kind or not saying anything, or waiting for the right moment to show them the love of Christ. That ain't easy. That's offensive. Because in our hearts, we say, I should do what I want to do. Who, gives, who has the right to tell me what to do? Being sober-minded, not drinking too much, not smoking. These things are offensive. It hurts. Don't lust. Be mindful of our sexuality. Submit it to the plan that Christ has for us. That's offensive. That'll hurt people. They might turn away when they hear this message. Don't make crude or filthy jokes. That's offensive. Don't be lazy. Work hard. Jesus is the Lord. All these statements are offensive. Jesus is the Lord. I'm the king of my life. I'm in charge. I'll determine my destiny. Nobody has the right. These are offensive statements. And they're offensive especially and because we think, what authority does somebody else have over me? What source is this coming from? Who can say this to me? We don't like to be told what to do. We don't like to have other people determine our path. 
But we need to determine, we need to figure out how are we going to respond to the offensiveness of Scripture? How are we going to respond when, when we, our first instinct isn't to agree? When our first instinct is to maybe become indifferent and even slowly turn away? Or maybe to ignore something and never deal with it? What are we to do? And I think that in our lives, I've noticed in my life, we're maybe wondering, why, why isn't Jesus working more in my life? Why am I not getting closer to him? Why is there still bitterness that I've been dealing with for years? Why, why is there still ungratefulness? Why, why am I not grateful for what I have? Why, 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 am, I still, why am I still struggling with the same sin I've been struggling with 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago, with no progress, with no change. I thought the Bible said I'd be a new creation. I thought, I thought, that, I thought that Jesus would change me. I thought he would help me. I think that maybe things don't change, relationships don't change, we don't change. Our situations don't change because we don't have enough faith to ask, because we don't have enough belief to allow Jesus to do the hard work in our life and partner with him. I think at times we, we, we sit in, in, in these, these, these chaotic moments in this chaotic life and wonder, why am I still in the storm? Why do I feel like the, the man full of demons? Why, why do I feel like the woman after 12 years hasn't been healed? Why? Do, why? why do I feel as if, I, as if I'm living dead? And I think maybe it's that we don't recognize the true reality of who Jesus is. Maybe, maybe we haven't accepted the authority of his leadership over our lives. Maybe we've said, Jesus, you can be my savior, but I am not sure about you being my Lord. I'm not sure of you being my king. I'm not sure of you being my God. And that can be offensive until we realize who Jesus is. Sometimes the hardest words have to be said by the people who love us the most. Sometimes the only way we change is when the people who care about us and have compassion on us confront us. And that's what I see in scripture, is this grand confrontation that's been lasting since the beginning of time, where God has been saying, I have a plan, and, and I have a direction, and I, and I have a future, and it's not always easy. It's actually very hard. But what I'm asking you to do is come and surrender and have faith. We can't have faith until we understand. Otherwise, it's blind faith. It's not real faith. It's faith based on the works of God that have been lasted, that have, that have been here since the beginning of time, that we've seen in our friends, that we've seen in the scriptures that Jesus is real, that he truly healed, that he truly lived, that he truly delivered, that he truly changed people. 
And when I recognize that he is the ultimate authority, when I recognize that I can be wrong, when I recognize that I am in need, even if I think I have everything together, and the bills are paid, and, 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 and the marriage is good, and, 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 the, and, the, and the, the job is going well, and, and, and everything else, that I'm still in need, and I'm still just as desperate as people who maybe be struggling with what I have. Because we will all be facing what that little girl faced. And that little girl had to face it again. Death. And Jesus came as this ultimate authority. Jesus came with this new way of life. Jesus came with this proclamation of the kingdom of God. That he was entering in and he was beginning. And we are still seeing expand and grow. And we have yet to see the fulfillment of it totally. And in my life, do I have faith in this Jesus? And by that, do I mean, do I surrender to this Jesus? Do I accept the message of this Jesus? Am I willing to follow this Jesus? Because if I do, I won't be like the town of Nazareth. And it's incredible to see that in that town, it was a bad day for Jesus' ministry. He only did a few miracles. For me, that would be an amazing day. That would be an amazing year. But the work of God, the almighty work of Jesus, I might miss out. I want to see his work in my life, and I can follow him. I can walk behind him. I, I can accept this message that is hard. I can accept this truth that is difficult, that can stir me the wrong way. And I can change. I can change when I understand who he is. And then, when his spirit fills me, we need Jesus. We need the change. And we need to recognize that all of our heart's desires can be fulfilled in him. That Jesus came to earth the first time to defeat sin and death. And although we still live in a world full of suffering, though he does miracles, we still live in a world that is chaotic and, 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 and scary and, and we don't always understand the will of God yet as we see through a glass dimly. But that as we come closer to meeting him face to face, all of the desires, all of the fulfillment, all of the miracles, all the work of God will be done. And we will experience everything our heart longs for to an end of chaos, an end of death, an end of sickness, an end of, of pain, an end of tears, an end of broken relationships, an end to bitterness, an end to sin. I can trust that as I'm following this leader, as I'm following Christ in this path of life, unsure at times and scared at times, I can be like the man who will later in this book say, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus healed his son. I can say, Jesus, but I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus will lead me and guide me, even in my, in my misunderstanding, even in my, in my scaredness, even in my fear. And he could lead me to the path that leads to eternal life. We'll experience it forever. But until then, I need you, Jesus.
I need you, Lord. I need your move. I need the miracle that's going to change my life, change my mind. It's a miracle for someone to change their mind. It's a miracle for someone to believe. And in our own hearts, we need that as we become offended, to realize that our offense can turn to faith. But I was thinking also, especially with our theme of go this year, that we can respond to Jesus, not just in our own life, but by telling others. And there is this great fear as we tell other people about Christ and and try to invite them to read the Bible and to understand the gospel. There's this great fear that I'm scared to tell them because what if they become offended and I lose this friend? What if they hate my message? What what if they don't want what what I have and what this is my whole life, this is who I am? What, What if they don't want it? And I think that we need to recognize, yeah, it is offensive. But it's still the only good news. It still is the only truth that can save someone's life. But I think there's something here that we need to recognize. And that's that we're not Jesus. And that when people become offended, they're not actually offended at us. They're offended at Jesus and the gospel. But what I love is if you look at um, verse, uh, verse chat, uh, where is it? Verse six. It says, he marveled. And he marveled because of their unbelief as they were directly confronting Christ. But if you look back in chapter five, in verse 20, the man who was healed from demons, this man had been delivered. It said that he sat with a clear mind in front of Jesus. He was well-dressed and he was, he was changed. This man who had been just tormented his whole life had now been f- freed. Jesus sent him away and he says, he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, the place where he lived, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. When this man told what God had done for him, they marveled. But when Jesus directly confronted them, Jesus marveled at their unbelief. I, I really, I don't think it was an accident that, that Mark chose the same word here. And it was both a reaction to the work of God. I think that often we run this danger of talking to our friends and talking to people we might not even know about Jesus and coming off as if we're the savior. Coming off as if we're the ones who they need coming off as if we're the ones who have it all figured out. But I think as we, as we look at this passage, and as I've seen in my own life this be true, when we come to people, not as the Savior, but as those who have been saved, not as the water of life, but those who have found the water of life, we begin to see that people might marvel at what God has done in our lives first. And they become hungry for that same work in their own lives. And I think a great method, and I'm not saying that people will not be offended. I'm not saying that people will, will, this is a 100% working method. But I'm saying that I would love to hear what God has done in someone's life because that will build my faith that Jesus could do it in my life. And I might be ready to 
interact with the offense that I might feel and accept Jesus, accept what he has for me. And as we go to our friends, as we go to our families this year, as we go to people we might not even know, instead of coming about it as, this is what you need to do. You need to change. Your life is a mess. You're a mess. You don't have it all together. Where are you going to go when you die? You, you, you're in trouble. It can come off that way at times, even in a nice way. We come and say, listen, let me just share with you what Jesus did in my life last year. Let me show you what he did to me just this past season where I've been, I've been desperate for him. He's changing me. He's molding me. I'm not who I was. It's the work of Jesus in my life. And I didn't have any reason to keep going. I didn't have what it took to, to, to go to the next step, to face that person or to, to, to be what I needed to be in my family or, 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 or whatever it might be. But he worked in me and he changed me and he strengthened me and I have his Holy Spirit and, and, I, and, and something's happening. It's supernatural. It's a miracle. It's a work of God because I took that step of faith because I was first offended, but then I had faith. Then I accepted it because I realized that Jesus is the almighty God and he cares for me and he cares for you. I think as we go to people and you phrase it in your own words and, and you change it to your story, and you're real and you're authentic and, and people can see the miracle that you are. People will begin to marvel at the work of God and the offense will can turn to faith because there's someone behind this book. If it were just words on a page that we were just supposed to read with no reason behind it, then I would be like, all right, do whatever you want. But there's a God, there's a person, there's someone who loves us and cares for us and, and has, has been interceding on our behalf. There's someone who, who is desperate and willing to die for us to have the life promised in this book, to experience God, not just for a moment, but forever. And when you understand that there's a person behind this, I can take the words of Christ and the message of the gospel and I can say, all right, I'm done trying to fight it. I'm ready to be changed by it. And that's what I want. That's what I want this year. That's what I want for my life, for our church. And I'm just going to invite the worship team up. And I was thinking about the rejection of Jesus and how I wish nobody would reject Jesus. But it was the grace of God that he was rejected. As Jesus would continue his ministry, leaving Mark 6 and going all the way to the end, we see that as he would enter Jerusalem, he would be rejected. And we see that Jesus, when he was being brought to the cross, it was because they did not believe. It was because they rejected his message and they were offended by what he had to say. And so they laid him down on a tree, and, and they pounded nails through his wrists and through his feet. Why? This had always been the, the, the mission, the quest of Christ. Because me and you deserve to be rejected by God. Me and you don't deserve his forgiveness. We don't deserve his love. 
We don't deserve this amazing invitation to live this life and to experience him forever. We don't deserve it. And Jesus knew that. And so he took our rejection on the cross. And he gave us his acceptance by the Father. So that no matter what evil life you've lived and no matter what you've done that could separate you from him, you could never be separated because of Christ. Because he was first rejected. So that we could be accepted. And so we can take comfort that the God of heaven, our good shepherd, our leader, he understands rejection. And he will lead us through. And so I just invite you to think, what am I holding back from God? What have I allowed to offend me and maybe ignore? Where does Jesus want to work? And, and, and who does Jesus want to lead me to? to share my testimony, to share what God has done so that they could marvel, so that they could be, they could eventually know this, this God and, and he could eventually change their hearts and they could confront the hard messages of scripture in this life and be changed. Who do you need to pray for this year? What would happen if we didn't tell children to stay out of the street or if they weren't told to eat healthy or if they weren't told to, when to go to bed? It'd be chaos and dangerous. It would be a scary world. And children often get offended when you tell them what to do. But children who understand how much you love them and understand that even though they might not understand, but that you do, they sometimes grudgingly but willingly will follow your lead. We're God's children. And we don't always know what's best but we can trust his word, that he's real and he cares, that he's powerful and he's merciful and graceful, and that the hard word is a good word, and he can change our lives. And so let's pray together. Father, we come before you, and we thank you for your son. Lord, we understand that knowing you is the greatest part of life. And you can change us and mold us when we're willing, when we have faith and say, Jesus, please work. Change me. I'm willing. Lord, help us in our offense to realize that you are trustworthy and we can have faith. Lord, we put in your hands the things that scare us, the things that we don't understand, the things that hurt us. We ask for your help and your lead. Lord, those we love who might not know you, we put them in your hands, God, knowing that you know them and you love them. That God, you would, you would show them your message, that Lord, you would show them your gospel and that maybe, Lord, you would use us, but to see that, God, you work. That you're, you're, you're a God who cares and you're near. And maybe today, if you're saying, I want that and I don't have it yet, I wanna have faith. It says we're saved by grace through faith. And if you believe in Jesus, you can rest assured that you have him and you're forgiven. But maybe you wanna say it out loud. Let's just say this together. Dear Jesus, I need you. 
Help my offense become faith as I trust in you that you lived the perfect life, you died on the cross, and you rose again. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.